Welcome to Founder Chats by Bear Metrics. We chat with founders and hear about how they started and grew their businesses. My name is Brian Sirikowski. I'm the director of Ops at Bear Metrics. And this week, I talked with Peter Shanty, the founder of Rotowire. This week, we talk about, man, really the start of SaaS. Uh, Peter started his business back in the 1990s with a SaaS model, believe it or not. So just learned a ton from what we can learn from history. And um, yeah, excited to get into it. So here is the conversation with myself and Peter. Hey, Peter, thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. How's your, how's your day going so far? Uh, day is going well. It's fantasy football season. You know, that's the focus of our company in addition to sports. But uh, our big revenue driver is fantasy football and training camp has started and lots of news and drafts and fun and excitement. So it should be a good year for us. Awesome. Is there such thing as like a, a good fantasy football year versus a bad fantasy well, football year? Well, a bad year? fantasy football year is when the players don't actually play, which would unfortunately was a real possibility <laughs> last year with the pandemic. This year looks like it'll be pretty normal. You know, there's fans at training camp and the seasons, you know, also have to have preseason games unlike last year. So it should be, you know, locked and loaded. You know, we'll see what happens. You never know. But it looks like the NFL, like last year, will be able to pull it off and, and play all their games. Awesome. That's, that's yeah. I imagine that's a that's a big difference for you if the sport is actually played or not. <laughs> it makes a big difference of your ability to deliver uh, news yeah, and updates. We're completely dependent on the sports leagues. Actually, what did, what did you do during that month? Uh, during that month, you know, we really tried to figure out ways to make that time, that downtime, be really effective. Did a bunch of projects that we you know kind of always had on the back burner. Added a section on our website for sports betting, uh, which is a growing area in the U.S. So it's becoming legal in more and more states. So we have content and tools for, for that so you know really try to put our time and effort into something really productive while sort of our day-to-day was done so uh, that was challenging but you know i think we did a pretty good job and, and made effective use of that time but definitely it was a strange and daunting time yeah yeah i can imagine i was i was wondering if you were going to say like you know I, well, I went to the beach and i <laughs> actually you know, for us it was i mean it's probably more stressful than than uh the regular running the business just because you know you had so many unique and new problems to solve and you know i think for a lot of people to pay attention maybe it was just you know watch a lot of netflix or whatever but for me it was a kind of the opposite it was sort of like a, trying to figure out how to you know <laughs> how, to, how, how to plan ahead and figure out sure. contingencies you know figure out how to use our time effectively keep all of our employees busy all that kind of stuff so it was a yeah it was a, it wasn't a completely boring i'm trying to remember back to that that timeline did you know that it was like when you went into it did you know like hey we're going to be about a month without any sports or was it kind of like an open-ended thing of like man i'm really not sure when things are going to turn back on it was pretty open-ended so there was a weekend in april it's like the second or third weekend of april 2020 there were a few sporting events in the world there was the only thing you could play was you could play fancy cricket <laughs> uh, from the island of Manitou, there's like a basically like a league there, which is probably the equivalent of like high school or something in the U.S. And but you can only play on like a site in India that runs fancy cricket. And there was you know, a couple of basketball meets, you know, in, uh, in Africa, and there was a and there was soccer in Bhutan. I don't know where that country is. Like that was it. Like you know, and sports books actually offered odds on some of these things. So it was that low, and at that point, Korean baseball, Korea, uh, was scheduled to come back, and they were in training. In April, and they didn't actually play early May. But every U.S. sport was, you know, you thought they might come back, but you know, and certainly the NFL is a big money maker in our industry. So much of the spring, you know, we, we thought it might come back, but it wasn't guaranteed. So, um, so yeah, it was definitely, definitely some, uh, some nervous times. But you know, luckily, you know, 
once we got to sort of early summer, we saw some leagues come back and we saw, okay, they're going to figure out a way to do it. Whether it's a bubble like the NBA or you know, the NFL, where they're, they're just going to kind of play and postpone games or move games around. Yeah, I imagine there's probably a, a mechanic there of like, well, you know that it's a lot of money for them too. So the leagues are like super, super motivated to to play, right? So maybe you at least have that in common. You're like, all right, well, I know they're they're probably not gonna like leave us hanging for that. Like like whatever the soonest possible timeline is, yeah. they'll bring it back. But yeah, yeah I can't the, the other negative is just that for fantasy football and fantasy sports in general, you want to have enthusiasm before the season you know i'm pretty excited so we've dealt with that before when there's a threat of a, of a strike or a lockout or something like that people are like eh, you know i'm not gonna really draft with my friends this, this year i just i'm not gonna buy that preseason magazine or do my preseason you know download that app do my preseason work because they might not play and then eventually that means they're less likely to play so so right. kind of that negative connotation too well if people were in the nfl may not actually finish the season then maybe maybe they won't even bother to play their leagues and we did see a little bit of that so but this year it's not like that you know this year it's you know i think everyone's pretty confident you know that it's all gonna happen and even if we take a step back in the country with the with the buyers and have to wear masks or whatever that they, i think everyone's pretty confident the nfl in particular has to figure it out and figure out a way to get all the games yeah wow yeah i think you're you're probably of all the SaaS businesses that i've i've spoken with you're probably like by far the most affected by the pandemic because yeah you were like you're totally, totally shut down. I think like right. a lot of businesses did better, which I'm hopefully I'm not like rubbing, rubbing salt in the wound for no, you. Not like, at all. In fact, the weird thing about it is that as soon as sports came back and then in the summer and the fall and baseball came back, football felt better than ever. I mean, the last 12 right. years has been like the best, best year in our history. And, uh, you know, some of that might be people are stuck inside. So they're watching sports, they look to other stuff, but I mean, there's just a lot of enthusiasm, daily fancy sports and sports betting. There's a lot of options for consumers, you know, fancy itself keeps growing but you know it's been so yeah it's been great it's been a total total roller coaster but, but I mean, it, it, luckily it ended up yeah maybe a little bit of a reset for people you know if they're into sports year round and you know they kind of just go with the flow this was like hey we're gonna like make you forcibly take a vacation from sports and now that sports are back they're like oh man i didn't realize like how important this was to me or yeah to your point too like people are just stuck inside i think it's like a probably like a similar thing. I think like Twitch streamers and people like that have seen a big boost to their viewership because like, well, I'm stuck inside. <laughs> my, my entertainment options are limited. So I guess I'll, you know, I guess I'll get into esports and, you know, fantasy sports. I'm, I'm sure everybody's just trying to get into anything that seems like remotely social at this point. Yeah. I mean, those are all, I'm sure those are all good factors. You know, good awesome. Well, yeah. So we, we talked a little bit before and you're kind of like I think you have a distinction to have like one of the like the earliest SaaS businesses I've like at least I've ever I've ever heard of. I'd love for you to just kind of share your story a little bit of like how you how you got into both you know the entrepreneurial space but also in the in the SaaS space and, and maybe share a little bit of the for people who, who nowadays we have a lot of benefits for us of like all of our all of our servers are on demand and you know people know what SaaS is. You, I think you had a little bit more of a challenging time early on. So I'd love for you to just kind of share your story of like getting started as an entrepreneur and, and getting started into, into SaaS like hyper, hyper early. So Rotowire is a, a fantasy sports news and information website. You get all kinds of news on the player that helps you play the games and fantasy sports contests. Uh, we have about 17 different sports. So you, you use this for news and information and there's tools to help you draft, you rankings, you know, import your team from Yahoo or ESPN and, you know, give you, you know, guidance as to who to pick up and, you know, how to monitor your team and see how you're doing versus the competition. 
So it's very much like a SaaS business in that aspect, but it's also a you know, content business. And it's a little bit different than probably your normal client clientele, but a lot of stuff is similar. And the way it started was I had uh, went to Northwestern, graduated with a degree in journalism. And out of school, I, I covered the financial markets for companies like Dow Jones and the Wall Street Journal and covered futures and options and IPOs. And I got a couple of buddies live in Chicago. One of them in particular wanted to really start a business and they're a business. Everybody's getting rich on business. Yahoo just went public. It's like 1996. And uh, came up with a bunch of ideas. None of them were really any good. <laughs> and then eventually I said, why don't we, you know, we, we spend so much time on our fantasy sports teams, our fantasy baseball, our fantasy football teams. You know, why don't we do something in that area? You know, we love it. It wouldn't even be that much extra work. And I said, why don't we, you know, do for fantasy sports what I do for my day job, which is covering it like a financial market. And so we invented something called player news, which is a way for people to just get information on players. You know, it says, here's what happened to this player, he got injured, or he got called up, or he had a bad game last night. And then we have a little bit of analysis attached to each one to say what that means. Like, you should go out and pick up his backup, or don't worry about him having a bad night. He's the everyday starter, you know, don't worry. Stuff like that. And that was kind of revolutionary at the time, and we instantly just got a ton of traffic. I mean, it's usually kind of the opposite problem you have when you launch an internet company. Usually you're, you're dying, usually you're have a great product and you're trying to find customers. Right. We were sort of the opposite. I mean, we just could never keep the site running. I and mean, this is like way before, you know, your ability to play everything on, you know, AWS or whatever, right? I mean, it's like, you know, you're, you were uh, in the guts of the computers trying to figure out, you know, put in more processors and keep the fans running and all kinds of stuff. So, and eventually, we, you know, we sold it. We, we didn't really have a whole lot of confidence, I think, in the product. We thought, you know, Yahoo or ESPN or somebody would just come along and do what we did and did. And we'd be done. So we, we decided to sell it to it. Unfortunately, an all too typical of the time of 1999, you know, internet startup company. And they went bankrupt like a year later. And, you know, we kind of made the mistake, I think, of not having enough confidence in ourselves and the product. And I think I've told entrepreneurs over the years, you know, it's really hard for, you know, a big media company uh, or a big company to really shift gears and, you know, do what you're doing. And especially if they have already kind of have a name and some customers and that kind of stuff. And I know it's changed a little bit in the recent era. They trade tech and Somebody, you know, creates a feature and then Facebook just comes in and just you know, does the exact same thing and sort of leaves that idea. But I think, you know, when you start to build a business, it's got a good idea and a good you know, base, especially media where you've got, you know, some, some roots in the customer's loyalty. It's, it's hard for another company to just do what you're doing. Nevertheless, we sold it. They went uh, bankrupt in a year, you know, spent a lot of, waste all their money on, you know, ads and fancy office space and the kind of stuff that was unfortunately all too typical of that era. And uh, we took the company back out of bankruptcy. And right at that time, the the market, the stock market crashed. The internet advertising market had crashed. We were getting something like five dollars CPM for ads, and we were a free site. We were living on that, and then it went down to like you know thirty cents or something. And I don't know if those are the exact numbers, but it was that kind of a decline. And we were like, "How are we going to keep this business going? You know, how are we going to make any money?" And also, you know, going to the advertising route. I mean, you just kind of lit, lived and died every month by this roller coaster. You go to the ad ad department. You know, talk to you know, the ad guy's office and see how, you know, how, how you doing? You got something more? So you can do like a little deal, you know, and like that just was a really hard way to run a business. So 2001, October 2001, so that's some 20 years ago, we decided to make a radical move and actually charge money for our content and for our website. And um, that kind of actually got some press at the time. There were no major media companies really that charged for their content. There certainly were no fantasy sites that, you know, that, that charged for their content. And, but it worked. I mean, it's, you know, we, we kind of did out of desperation and great. You know, we could forecast our money every, you know, every, every month, every quarter, you know, we could make plans and people paid for it. And, and so we sort of backed into it, but yeah, we got we sort of a SaaS company in a way, even though we're 
publisher and have sort of probably more seasonality than a lot of your typical clients. And but uh, yeah, sort of you know, so it worked pretty well. So yeah, we were kind of like a first mover innovator at well more ahead of our time in terms of you know, building SaaS products and all that kind of stuff. And even though there's some differences, we still use a lot of the same you know metrics and all that kind of stuff as far as you know customers renewing and retaining them and how to get you know bring them back all that kind of stuff. It's, it's very similar to your typical non-media SaaS company. I mean, there's some differences too, but it's been kind of a wild ride. But and we've been doing it for 20 years. That's awesome. And did you find that there was a lot of overlap with the with your experience in financial? Uh, analysis in the the fantasy sports world. Yeah, I mean, you know, fantasy sports in a way it's kind of like a stock market. I mean, you're you're picking individual players and their value, you know, goes up and down, you know, based on their performance and you know their perceived performance. So when you're doing these drafts, I mean, sometimes there's auction formats where you you know you right. have a mythical budget and then you you know spend a certain amount on that on each player. So it behaves very much like that, and that was that was the whole concept. When we started, was to have a newswire that just reported all the stuff that the fancy sports people care. Because I mean, your average sports fan, the third wide receiver, if he you know pulls a hamstring you know in practice today, and you know might 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 make it in the newspaper that you're reading, or he might you know, but it doesn't you know might be you know, but you don't really probably you know it doesn't probably really impact the team that right. they follow. But for fantasy, that's like everything, you know. Like, right. Now, yeah. You know, this guy's not going to play this week. And, you know, the fourth receiver is going to get a, you know a chance. That guy's really good. He might never, he might never get the job back. You know, he might even take over the number two job now. You know, it's like it's a whole. It's like a stock market. You know what I mean? So in terms of you know, you know, valuation and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. So I, you know, that was the idea to treat it like a to treat it the same way that you know that you have financial reporting. So yeah, that that came in very handy. And I think my my background and. Journalism, you know, gave us a, gave us a, a leg up too, just in terms of you know how the content, right? You know, you know how you the editing of it, how it appeared, you know, the, the sort of reporting style, all that kind of stuff was you know different than a lot of the other fancy competition that approached it from a, you know just from a gamer kind of perspective, and um, they didn't have some of the you know some of that in mindset. So uh, yeah, that, you know, you know now it's like talking about like a, the Civil War, or like <laughs> the, you know, yeah. the ruins or something, but. You know, to go back that far just doesn't, you know, it, it's hard to explain. But, you know, it used to be that you played fantasy sports. Like, if there would be a player called up from the minor leagues in baseball, and if, let's just say that that actually happened, like, midday on a Wednesday, maybe it would be, you know, on TV that night if it was, like, a really high-profile player, but probably not. There's no newswire. Like, unless you were one of the rare people that had access to, like, the AP newswire, which at that point, you had to be, like, a professional working at a news organization, probably. Might show up in the paper the next morning, you know, maybe in the back in that aggregate, you know, like in this chart in the back that showed the transactions. Maybe, you know, maybe in the reporter's notebook, but usually that only was, like, usually published only those, like, a couple of weeks, a couple times a week. So it literally might be days before you even knew that some really, you know, great player got called up. So at the time, you know, when we did this this newswire, even though some of the reporting was twelve hours to twenty four hours old, it was like revolutionary. Everyone was like, "Oh my goodness, I'm getting this you know days faster, weeks faster than I could get it in the print media." <laughs> you know, and nowadays, right. course, huge competitive advantage. Oh yeah, I mean for sure. Nowadays, flash forward, I mean you know everything in the world of news breaks on Twitter first, and that's that exact same transaction. For this minor league prospect is pretty good, gets called up. I mean, it's on Twitter within like you know, 15 minutes at the latest. You know, it's like it's just, you know, you know, it's it's out there so quickly. I and mean, it wasn't like that when we started a long time ago. And yet we've been able to still, you know, just you know, every innovation that comes along, you know, you know, kind of stay ahead and stay ahead of the, the curve a little bit and you know, still provide a new service that you know provides a lot of value. Now it's not as much value 
in terms of being first, you know, or, you know, and getting right. time like, oh, I wow, I found this news on Rotowire, you know, would show up in New Zealand today or the Chicago Tribune until you know, tomorrow or two days from now. Now it's more like there's just so much info. Like you know, Twitter is, is definitely the medium where you want to find anything. But if you're like playing fantasy football and some player you know hasn't really done much lately, and you're trying to figure out you know what's going on with Miguel Sano first baseman for the Twins, you know it's there's no real news. He hasn't been hurt or whatever, but he just hasn't been playing much. What's going on? You could search Twitter and the internet and you know spend like a ton of time trying to find it. And so we call all that information you know to something that you know it's very easy. So. You know, you can just go to RotoWire and type in, type it in, and boom. You know, we have a, a note for him almost every day, saying, you know, kind of like what he did, what what the season is like, and we have all these relevant stats and like that. So it's very quickly, so it saves you a ton of time. It goes gets right to the point, and so it's gone from you know sort of breaking the news to sort of like you know editing it all down to something right. concise and then simple you can do. So that, that's kind of happened over the years. But yeah, it's been kind of a, a, a real journey. If you look back at the beginning, it, it, when I t- try and tell people who are younger who worked for us, who, you know, were adults back in the 90s, you know, and try to relay them, like, how it was. I mean, I, it literally is like I'm talking to them about, you know, 1860s or something like that. Right, <laughs> so, yeah. But as it wasn't that long ago. So. Yeah, it's funny. It's like you have the you have the opposite problem now than when you launched. It's like, when you first launched, you were like, yeah, it might take like, uh, whatever, a, a week to to hear about something. And now it's like, you hear about different events and kind of quote-unquote newsworthy things like, 12 times a day, probably more than that, probably like 1200 times a day. So it's like, okay, well now you went from having no information and, and that information not showing up fast enough to now it's like, well, now you're inundated. Yeah. And it's too much. I mean, sometimes what happens is for fantasy football, I'll give me an example, like, you know, there'll be like a rumor this guy, you know, the whole bunch of reports in terms of like, he's going to get traded or called up or he's injured today. Right. And, you know, you go to Twitter and there's like 16 different reports and it's like, okay, which ones of these are reliable and accurate? Is this guy, is this Twitter account? Is this, is this, is this just some random person or is this like a, a reporter? And it is a reporter. Is he reliable? You know, and stuff like that. It's, you know, one of the things that we add value is to just know all those sources really, really well. And, and to say, to be able to say, oh, there's all these reports that this guy's you know going to get called up or traded or he's hurt or has suffered a serious injury. And, and we say, well, you know. This guy is really reliable. You know, this source is really reliable, so you know you should you should bank on it. You know, or you know this other source, eh, we're not really sure. You know, so you know things like that. So you know that's part of the game now. It's like too much information versus you know not enough information. You know, so now we add value trying to parse through it all and, and just get right to the point for what you need. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah, now we're in a world too where it could be there could be something that's like quote unquote news, but it's like just somebody somebody just made it up. I'll give you another example college football in college football there's no requirement for reporting from the teams and so you know it just becomes a free-for-all and these kids are on college campuses and so you know there'll be like something on a you know social media post or news like a message board and it'll say like oh today we saw the starting quarterback on crunches you know and it's like could be true could not be true you know and lots of times you know it's not true a lot of time so you really gotta know like you know, where the sources are, you know, what the sort of background is. Oh, really? Is it possible that he got hurt? Well, yeah, there was a report that, you know, he left practice, you know, so maybe it's you know, more possible, you know, things like that. And, you know, most people who are just playing fantasy football or, you know, betting on games or, you know, doing any kind of, you know, gambling or skill game activity with sports are just, you know, don't have the tons and tons of time just to just, you know, watch every team and every, you know, just get on Twitter all day and watch all the, watch all the shows and the games themselves. So, 
you know, it's, you know, you know usually it's a, it's a hobby that, you know, they want to put a lot of time in to win, but they don't want to put that much time into. So we provide, we provide a service and it's enough of it. You know, we do a good enough job people get some money for. So I feel like your kind of early years of like the, the combination of journalism, which really helps you like both craft a narrative and also probably evaluate like the trustworthiness of a source. And then like the financial analysis is like, that goes directly into like the domain. It almost feels like you know, it's like the perfect combination of skill sets to like make you great at this type of business. How did you get from the journalism side to financial? Or was it just like, that was the, that was the journalism gig available to you? Or was that something you specifically sought out? Uh, well, when I was in college, I mean, I was an e- economics major undergrad and journalism grad in grad school. And wow. I actually worked for the, the Daily Northwestern, which is the school's newspaper. And so I liked finance and that kind of stuff. And when I was, when I was at the school newspaper, everybody said, well, the way you get a job in journalism is you, is you, you, know, you, go, you go in and you cover the markets, you cover you know, business. Because everybody, right. everybody else went into journalism in college because they didn't like math. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably still true. I mean, I think yeah. you know, I don't, I'm not as uh, in touch with the... Uh, younger uh, journalism students at colleges, but I, I bet that's probably still the case, right? So, so there's probably, you know, that's the, you're getting a job in the you know, covering Wall Street, you're covering the financial markets and business. It's probably the, the, the easier way to get a job. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I backed into it. I always liked that stuff, but I was always a huge fancy sports player. I mean, I, you know, I, I started my first league in 1990. It was, back then, it was very, very difficult. I actually wanted to start a league in high school in the mid 80s, and it was very difficult to even get eight to 10 people to play. Right. It was such a it was such a big commitment, and like, there was no information. You know, you had to like people would say, "I don't even know who the players are. How can I even draft?" You know, there wasn't like there weren't magazines and cheat sheets and all that kind of stuff. So, finally, cobbled together like eight people to play a fancy baseball league, and then I dragged the last one who was a guy lived next door to me in the dorm. To, you know, I almost had to pay him to be in the league and in a draft, and then everybody liked it. And those people are. Some people in that league are still, you know, two of the people in the business with the day. So, so yeah, we were, you we know, always really into the, into the sports and the fantasy sports. And so when we sort of got the, when I got the itch to make, the, you know, to you know, do a business, it just made sense. I mean, I was already like super passionate about it. So, and I think that's one thing I tell, like I tell entrepreneurs and, and people is that, you know, you just gotta be really passionate for the business. If not the subject matter, at least, you know, running the business. Cause you're always going to hit the skids at some point. You're always going to hit a, a yeah. point where it's super stressful and if you're not really all in, you know, you won't survive. And I see it all the time, you know, so that, you know, people who are just like super passionate about it will figure out a way to overcome a lot of hurdles and the people that, that aren't, you know, you know, will not. And so, you know, usually when I'm hit sort of handicapping whether someone's going to succeed or not, that's usually a, that's a, that's a big factor. The other factor is just, in addition to running RotoWire, I've also uh, been heavily involved in the trade association for the fantasy sports industry. So I've been at the, the I was the chairman for over a decade. I'm still involved. It's called the fan, it was called the Fantasy Sports Trade Association. Now it's called the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association. And so I work with a lot of startups because they join the association. It's a, it's a great vehicle to get in the industry. And so I kind of work with a lot of startups over the year to help them and connect with the other people in the industry. And you know, some and, and selfishly, a lot of them become our clients of RotoWire. We also syndicate news and information to other companies. Just about every media company, ESPN, DraftKings, FanDuel, NFL.com. So we sort of have two revenue streams of, of once a SaaS type business and once sort of a business to business type business. So we're with a lot of startups. And so you can kind of, you know, I got a good idea of handicapping what's going to, who's going to survive and who's not going to survive. And I always tell, at least in the fantasy business, I say, you know, if you can, if you can just make it to year two, you're probably, you know, you're probably going to be okay. You know, because, you know, year one, you start your business and you they have a product that's like a game or something. And, you know, you're going to stink. <laughs> you're going to have lots of problems and issues. Right. And, 
But usually in fantasy sports, if you succeed and you make it through the season, those customers will come back with you the next season. And then, you know, then you'll improve the product a lot. It'll be better. And then year three, you know, you're really kind of getting going. And that's when you can apply a lot of marketing to it. And usually anybody that tries to break that mold fails. And the people who go into a year one and think they have the greatest idea ever and, you know, try to get everybody to sign an NDA before they'll even have a conversation with them because their idea is so good. That's usually the biggest sign that they're going to be a failure because it's not really ever about the idea. In fact, you know, just about every single time anyone's ever called me up for fantasy sports, um, I've already heard the idea before, you know, and I've, you know, it's been exceedingly rare that someone's had a new idea because it's not about the idea. It's about the execution, you know, and, and, and getting it, you know, just and getting it to market and having customers like you and figuring out the problems that somebody had the idea before couldn't, couldn't solve. So yeah, those are all, you know, we're a lot of companies and that that's kind of, and we probably went through the same pitfalls ourselves. <laughs> we just yeah, were passionate sure. enough to overcome it. Yeah, the, I, I don't know if this question's like answerable, but do you know what it is about fantasy sports that just like grabbed you on such a fundamental level? Well, I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, the first thing would, would be sports. I mean, I've just always been a big sports guy from the day I can remember, you know, collecting baseball cards and football cards and, you know, playing in the park. So just always been super passionate about sports. And so this is a great way to, you get all the sport knowledge in your, in your head. This is, this is a great way to apply that. Right. Cause I mean, I'm not, not the general manager for a baseball team. I'm not, you know, the playing quarterback for a real team. Right. And so none of those things are going to happen. So you know, yeah, but I have all this knowledge in my head about, you know, I think, I think I know a lot about players and about what the manager should do. And general manager, that was a dumb trade. They should have this instead. Why you apply that knowledge? Well, fancy sports gives you an outlet, right? You can manage your own baseball team. And, you know, you, you know, you think the, this, the GM of this team made a huge mistake by, you know, not signing this player to a free agent contract. Well, you know, you can do the exact same thing, right? And the other thing I offer is that it's a great community way uh, to meet people, interact with people. Fancy football, I like to say, is, you know, one of the better competitive things, competitive pastimes you can do in America because the person that's super passionate and just super into it will have a fun time in a league, even if they're in a league with like somebody who's a total a novice, you know, new, new, new to it. And that's because it's kind of structured where the novice will win every once in a while. They have a chance because right. there's right. a little bit of, there's enough luck in the, in the contest that, you know, once a decade, once every 15 years, you play all the time that, and one doesn't take it as seriously, doesn't take it serious, will win. So that'll be a fun time. And then the one who's super serious and studies hard and just spends lots of hours and then will win more often, but not every single time. And that's kind of rare. Like if you play golf, you know, if you right. and me and Tiger Woods play golf, Tiger Woods isn't going to be fun. You know, I mean, he's just going to sure. destroy us, right? And <laughs> yeah. we're going to be terrible. You know, I mean, I, I'm not much of a golfer. Maybe you're not a golfer at all. Or maybe possibly a brand new golfer. You know, they'd have a terrible time. You know, and so if you think of other other competitive pastimes, you know, games, contests, that dynamic is, 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 is tough to, it's tough to do. It's tough to come, you know, come from together. So it makes it fun. So like in your, you know, that's why like in your office or among your friends, it's really easy to join a fancy football league and, and have a good time. And it's not that much of a commitment, but the people who are super into it, you know, can still have a good time. And then obviously, you know, there's other fancy sports where it's a little bit different. I mean, baseball is a lot more of a commitment that sort of novice will not have as much fun, but it's possible, you know, and there's, there's, you know, you can play for a lot of money and, I mean, that's not as much fun for some people, more fun for others, or you can play for free. So there's a, there's a wide variety of contests and ways to play. But it's really just your average fantasy football league. It's just a really good social mix. And then the other thing about it was, we like to say in the fantasy uh, sports industry, that we were sort of the social network before there was a social network. I mean, ah, yeah. You know, we were online and the, you know, the industry built all these tools 
in the late 90s, early 2000s to run leagues online. I mean, our company was kind of at the forefront of that. We, you know, we had one of the first, uh, you know, we actually had the first ever free commissioners. And, uh, you know, had bulletin boards and post photos and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, it's kind of a way for you to keep in touch with your friends. And certainly for myself, you know, being in these fancy leagues was a great way for me to keep in touch with a lot of my friends from college. And I don't know if I would have kept in touch with them as much if I, if I hadn't had that connection through meeting them, you know, in person or online every year. In a, in a draft and then, you know, talking to them all year because, the, of course, you know, a lot, I think a lot of us and myself included in the industry are like, yeah, why didn't we take that and then turn it into Facebook or, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. but you know, do we even have that vision? But uh, yeah, so that, that part, the social aspect about it. So yeah, that's, that's how I got super into it is a huge sports fan. You know, it's a, it, it's a great social outlet to stay in touch with people. I mean, it's a good competitive endeavor and it's fun. I said for the, you know, for the expert and the novice all at the same time. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And there's kind of that, that running joke of the, person in the office in the fantasy football league where they don't know anything about football and they just kind of pick their players at random and you know they'll they'll show up to work on monday and they'll be like someone be like you on this weekend they're like oh really oh cool and then like they'll just like soar through to the end and like they'll like soundly destroy everybody (laughs) just randomness yeah that will happen enough that that person will that type of person will still you know join and have fun time but you know over time that person will not win Right. You know, we'll win yeah. like you know, very, very infrequently. And because, you know, it is, it is a skill game. I mean, people always, the one thing people always say about fancy sports or fancy, especially fancy baseball, so I, I can't play that. It's, that's just too much work, you know? Right. And it's like, well, that's a, that's a sign of a skill contest because you're never like, hey, you want to go play uh, slots or uh, right. roulette with us? Oh, no, sure. it's too much work. I have to study. I mean, I have to like, you know, pick out <laughs> the players, go studying. It's like, yeah, yeah. You know, so that the studying does pay off, you know, yeah. it, more in the long run. But in the short term, yeah. Anybody can be competitive. And the other thing about fantasy football that's great is that, you know, people can go from total novices and not know what they're doing and, and, you know, and just, you know, get into it and do a lot of research and spend the time. And then suddenly, you know, they have an affinity and need some skill at it. And next thing you know, you know, they're, they're dominating the league, <laughs> you know, so For sure. you know, it's not yeah. like you have to be seven feet tall and bench press 500 pounds or whatever, you know, you just, you know, you got to be into it and look real smart. And next thing you know, you're a really competitive player. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it just goes to your, to your point about like why it's such a, such a, a cool social competitive game. Cause yeah, like more often than not that person who doesn't know anything, like they come into the office on Monday and they're like, you lost. And they're like, okay. <laughs> That's like, you know, like, and then, you know, the next week you're like, you won. And they're like, okay. So there's just like, there's like a passive ability for passive participation from somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing, but yeah, like you're right. Like sometimes they get, sometimes they get lucky. Sometimes they, you know, it's just like, sometimes the dice are going to roll in their favor, but the people who are like, I'm sure that somebody who's trying really hard and they get beat by somebody who's not trying is like, uh, well, either going to be very annoying or also like maybe going to be very motivating as well too. It's like, okay, like I'm really going to like dig in and, you know, like my, my tight end totally, you know, didn't score any points and I want to get, you know, let me do the research and figure out like the best tight end for this next week and who, who are all the matchups and for the type of person who wants to be motivated and the person who wants to like actually like do well, like there's a pretty big, pretty big ceiling for yeah. how well the they can do. Is that the, the, the industry has grown enough where 20 years ago, if you were super into it, so maybe you were, you know, you got somebody asked you in the league and then and you lost a couple times like that. And then you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I need to get good at this. And you start reading magazines and buying books and going online. And obviously now it's all online and apps and that kind of stuff. You know, you, you would maybe you win your league and join a couple of leagues. And you'd be really competitive. Maybe about the limit. But then, you know, eventually uh, leagues came along where you could, you know, 
put in an entry fee in of like $1,500 and win like, you know, $300,000. And then not, and then there's daily fancy sports. So, you know, you can, you know, you can compete against the best players in the world who are, you know, doing it full time. You know, you know, you want to, you want to get in that ring and try to compete with them. And then, you know, you can, you can win a million dollars almost every day right now playing daily fancy sports, which is just amazing. You know, it's like so much bigger than I ever thought it'd be, but you know, people's capacity to be competitive and, and want to play the game and, and get in the ring, you know, with people that are really good, just seems to have you know, no, no end. And, and, and that's fun. It's created a lot of fun contests. And, you know, I've been in a lot of those and, and they're just, they're fun too, you know, but I, I like playing anything from free league with a you know, bunch of novices and, you know, just people in the neighborhood and, you know, and to all the way to the you know, highest level where you're, you know, putting in a lot of money and trying to win a lot of money there. They're all, they're all fun. They're, you know, they're different, different competitions and different skill sets and that kinds of stuff. But it's, it's just, just been a great industry where, you know, the, the richness of the industry and the different types and variety and, you know, competitive levels uh, as it, it continues to expand. It's, it's just been really, really fun to be a part of. Cool. Well, totally tracks at this point how you wound up in fantasy sports. I think that's like pretty, pretty apparent that that makes sense. I'm curious about like that. You mentioned, you know, kind of like post college moving to Chicago. And then it, it kind of sounded like you were in this like mindset of like, well, I want to do something. Like, it seems like you wanted to do something entrepreneurial. Like what was going on in your head during that point in time? Yeah, I think you know, throughout college and before that, I always kind of envisioned myself starting my own business. I don't think I was necessarily like a totally all-in journalist. And that was like my only thing I wanted to do in life. So, sure. but I also saw that in journalism, at least back then, you know, that you kind of, you kind of got ahead by jump uh moving from one job to the next <laughs> and so i you know at the time i was i was like well you know i'll, I'll try to business you know try business you know i'm in my 20s and i don't make kids i don't have any real huge obligations and you know if, if this thing fails you know i'll just go get another journalism job somewhere maybe that was having maybe that was being too cocky and way overcome sure. but that was kind of the attitude at the time but you know and i wanted to start a business you know that I, at some point i'd always kind of envisioned that so i kind of had the bug um and all it took was just Sort of my friend Egg and Beyond saying, like, look at look at all these companies that are, you know, you know, that are going public or, you know, that these people are creating, you know, we should be able to create one of these internet companies. And, um, and so we did, you know. So um, and you know, definitely a lot more difficult than I would ever imagine. But but yeah, I was kind of the yeah, I always had the itch, you know, to, to to try and try and start my own business. Is there anything you did before college or any kind of early to do the uh, the lemonade stand or anything like that early on that kind of scratched that itch? Less so on the business side, but more on the stats side. I mean, like uh, stats and sports have always been kind of my itch. So when I was a kid growing up from nine all the way through you know, college, like one of my you know, friends, we played wiffle ball all the time. I kept all the stats. You know? So, yeah. you know, I had the computer and the stats and I kept them all. And, That's cool. Uh, you know, I did all that kind of stuff. And that, you know, that ended up being kind of the sort of the background in learning. So then when I learned how to, you know, just self-learn how to, program computers and do all that kind of stuff, you know, sort of had, sort of had a head start, I guess, at least on the status or stats and information side of, of what I was doing. And that kind of formed the basis for a lot of the, you know, creating fantasy leagues and running on them. Maybe that's not really a business, but, you know, you still, you still have to learn how to, how to, you know, sort of run that organization, you know, in quotes, of getting people on time, getting, you know, processing reports, totally. and, you know, managing yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, so, you know, that was probably more of my background less than, you know, running a business, of, you know, of, you know, starting something before. Like, I didn't really have a background of, like, that I, you know, created some, you know, some business when I was in high school or something. Like that. As much as I just organized all these leagues and ran them, and I think that became the basis for the, for the, the company itself. That's awesome. I would kind of ask, like, lessons learned in, you know, because now we kind of, you're, you're post-college, you 
want to get into something and you're kind of like, okay, cool. Well, let me kind of connect both the, the training, the journalism and the, the, you know, financial uh, analysis into my passion of fantasy sports. And like, that's like, makes perfect sense to, to start there as a business. And I would ordinarily ask like, well, you know, what, what kind of like cool lessons do you have from that? And I don't, I could still ask that. And if you, if you have a good answer, but it, it almost seems like maybe it's like, things were just so different at that point of like the, what was required of you. You really kind of it almost seems like there was no real model to follow. You kind of had to like write the playbook as you were uh, getting started. Yeah. I mean like one, you know, one example I give for that is there was a site called fastball.com and they were, it was owned by the company that owns the Atlanta journal constitution. At least did at the time. Cox Media, I think it was. And they were like the first website that had the AP newswire on the internet. So you could actually like, you know, see all the articles from AP Newswire. Again, this, you know, this is like me talking about the telegraph or something. There was a gentleman who ran it and a nice guy. And I met him in person and he really liked our website. And we were trying to figure out how to work together. And he was like, okay, well, I'm, I'll take all my information and you're going to put it on a page on RotoWire. I'm like, oh, it's great. You know, put it on there. And we loved it. You know, we sat down and started talking deal points. And he's like, how much are you going to pay me for that? And I was like, what do you mean? How much are you going to pay me for that? <laughs> you know? And there was yeah. just no, there was no proven business model at the time. You know? right. So like, you know, eventually we sort of figured out, okay, well, we'll, we'll each run ads on there 50-50 and split it or whatever. But yeah, just there were a lot of things like that. Like no one knew how to make money on the internet or a lot of this stuff. And, you know, it's just all, it was just a wild, you know, wild west and everything was kind of crazy. So you know, it took a while to figure it all out. And that's why, like I said, it, it took a very uh, strange path for us to get to a subscription business and really out of desperation. And now if you look back at it, now you're like, of course, why did you just do that from the get-go? You right. know? But it's really hard to put yourself back into the mindset of what it was like in the early days of the internet when there just were, you know, no proven paths or, you know, ways to, you know, to make money. You know, it was just, you know, other than just getting a lot of traffic and then going public and making money because people uh, thought, wow, there's these people have a lot of traffic, but figure out a way to money, make money on it. That was the only way you could make money. <laughs> you know, right. Otherwise, you know, it took a while for everyone to sort of figure it out. Do you think there was any benefits to or, or kind of learnings that you took with you starting starting a business in the Wild West? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we, you know, we learned a lot of things along the way that, you know, just can, you know, put us ahead a little bit ahead of the competition. You know, we always tr- you know, try to like figure out what the next technology is. It apps, is it Twitter? And, hmm. You know, try to you know that, that was one of our just kind of mantras, right? We were always looking out for the next thing because it just impacted our business. How do we, you know, how do we take advantage of them? Oh, there's a new game concept. Oh, this company's doing something. And so we were always trying to be really aggressive to make sure that we were on top of it. And one of the first people out there offering a product in that market or working with, you know, certain companies because, you know, you could just, you know, the market was evolving so fast that you didn't know what direction it was going to go. So, you know, that we might've learned that from the early days when, yeah. you know, we just didn't know, you know, everything. It's hard to figure out. You know, how to how to make money or what was an opportunity. We just try to you know really just keep our ear to the ground and take advantage of every opportunity that came our way because we just didn't know what was gonna what was gonna be the big one. Yeah, I imagine that you probably have built into your DNA of like I can't imagine you ever saying like, well, you know, this is this is just the way that this is done or this is just this is just the model. Like it's like you're like, well, <laughs> everything you needed to build, you had to build from the ground up. So I think like yeah, one of the things I've done is I've also, you know, over the years I would say and this is probably true for other entrepreneurs in other markets is, is to not really think like how big can this market be? Because, you know, fantasy sports got so much bigger than I ever thought it was possibly. And also the same thing with other, you know, companies you work. I'm, I remember I met these two guys that came up from Scotland and they had this concept for a fancy football contest. 
And I was like, who are these guys from Scotland? They're going to, you know, start this company for about the NFL. What do they know about football? But hey, they're nice guys. You know, I worked with them, helped them out, and, you know, gave them a real shot. And then they ended up being the founders of FanDuel, oh. <laughs> um, which is now, you know, a multi-billion yeah, yeah. dollar company. Um, That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. And the same thing, there's, you know, these guys who from India came over to our conferences and we're going to start a cricket website. I really tried to help them out a lot. That just seemed like, really, are you going to do fancy cricket? And it's kind of crazy. Now it's a company called Dream 11. They're worth like $5 billion. They have, they have 100 million people playing their platform. So you just never know. You know, and like, you know, both of those companies, I think if I had to go back in time and you know, handicap them and like what I thought their odds of success were, I probably would have said pretty low. So, you know, I think you just got to be kind of open to ideas and, and, you know, not, not really dismiss anything because, um, you know, especially like in the early days of the internet, but even with those companies, you just never know, right? And especially that they're both, you know, both of those groups of people were, were really bright. And, really passionate and necessarily figured out a way to make it work. And luckily for both of them, you know, RotoWire worked with them early on and we've had good partnerships with them ever since. So, uh, you know, it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, that's awesome. It really feels like that leans on your, that leans on your, your, your background of, you know, if you're analyzing a company, you, you need to look at the numbers and you need to say like, okay, what's the, what's the current state? And like you said, like, you know, let me, let me kind of put a, a roundish figure on what I think their chances of surviving are. But there's also that component of like, well, you know, what's the, what's the X factor? Like, what's the, what's the upside? And it sounds like you're just generally sort of aligned of like, well, this is, I mean, it's a huge market now, but it's still kind of small. It sounds, you know, though there are, you know, a finite set of players. So you've always sort of had that alignment of like, well, I'll do my analysis, but what's it really cost for me to help you out? Especially your model where every person in the space could potentially be a customer too. So you're right, like, yeah, right. worst they, case scenario, I make a new customer. <laughs> like, yeah, that's like, not so bad. Case, yeah, in the case of Dream 11, you know, they if they were to create a market for fancy cricket when there really wasn't one and turn it into something humongous, uh, it would have a benefit for me, for RotoWire, because you know, we, 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 we do right now, we have fancy cricket news and information. And same with those other, you know, if they came up, FanDuel, if they really took off with their daily fantasy sports concept, which was kind of out there, but they're the ones who really brought it into the mainstream. You know, that had a benefit for us too. So yeah, I mean, that's, you know, definitely looking out for all of these guys. If they actually, you know, if they actually execute on their plan and takes off, you know, that'll be benefit to us. So, you know, kind of just always keep that in mind. I just learned over the years that, you know, I, I can definitely handicap who's going to succeed probably pretty well, but at the same time, you just, you never really want to limit the possibilities uh, because, right. you know, I'm sure that's the way in other industries and certainly that's the way in tech, right? You'll see some tech thing and you think, there's no way that somebody's going to, you know, go online and put 60 characters of what they did for the day. That just seems so boring, you know, and the next thing you know is Twitter, right? It's like, you know, runs, runs huge area, you know, huge areas, at least the media, media world, you know, depending on it every single day. But, you know, back when it started, I'm sure it was probably like, you know, eh, people are really going to use that. <laughs> you know, see, you just never know. It feels like a tightrope. I'm a little bit more, a little bit more fixed in the tech world. And it does feel like there are these ideas that come up that are, nonsense and then there's another set of of ideas that are like game changers and it feels to me like i don't think i have a particularly good sense of like divining the future in that way like the nonsense and the game changers look effectively identical to me <laughs> at an early stage of like you know and i even think like like kind of current things of like nfts and and things of that nature where it's like i'm kind of like i don't know i don't think this is a real I don't think this is a real thing. I don't, I don't think this is a thing we're looking at. But I would totally, I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if in, you know, five years, you know, NFTs are like the, the major 
asset, you know, commodity traded and 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 paid for online. Like that, yeah, that I mean, also I seems think, like a reasonable thing too. Yeah, I mean, if you could go back in time, I mean, they're not really similar, but in terms of just like how new they were and people could figure out how to make the money on it, like people are passionate about it. You know, fancy sports NFTs or you know, fancy sports or like you know, esports were kind of similar. It's like especially esports like now, it's like people that are super passionate, but it's like. You know, what does that mean? How do you make money on it? I mean, how does this work? You know? Right. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And then people figured it out eventually over time. But so, yeah, I mean, eventually, you know, I just think that you know, the people that are, you know, have real businesses and, you know, I mean, like they're going to come up with real businesses with people that are just really passionate and focused and able to react and things like that. I mean, you know, they're the ones that are probably going to succeed because I think the NFT concept in general, I think they'll probably, you know, people probably will be, you know, having collectibles and things like that online and things like that. It's just, you don't know which one's going to succeed in the short term. I think eventually it will, but it'll be a fascinating market to watch. And, you know, there's a lot of a lot of similarities to fantasy sports. I think in the early days, where there was just a ton of ideas and people kind of knew that there was a passion for the you know for it, but didn't know exactly how it's going to how it's all going to shake out. Yeah, it reminds me of, of crypto as well. Crypto too, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, have, I have a friend who who runs. Um, uh, a company called Nomics, which is like a, it's like the index. It's like the Bloomberg for crypto. So if you want to know like volume, trade volumes and stuff like that. And uh, he and I, he and I play games every once in a while, I'll play games online. And every so often he'll like, uh, I, I always think I understand crypto and then I'll, I'll chat with him and he'll explain something to me. And I realize I have no idea. <laughs> What's, like the, the more that crypto is explained to me, the more I'm confident that I have like literally no idea what's happening and it's it's really deep too so that's another example of like i mean i think crypto's been around for long enough at this point that we can safely say there's something there like it hasn't hasn't gone away yet i think it's just really challenging to forecast out actually i don't know i was about to say if you want to kind of include that as a part of your business offering but I, i've seen a lot of companies that have included crypto in their business offering and they've been really successful so if you want to take yourself back in time and like fancy sports now it seems there's 60 million people in this canada that play it Right. Just really mainstream, and you know everybody. And like, how could it ever have been like that? that people did not make money on it or figure it out. And you know, crypto and NFTs and that kind of stuff are kind of just a good way, a good example of how you know twenty years later or something. You know, that's how it looked, that's you know how chaotic and you know uncertain it was twenty years ago. You know, as far as like how to make money. I mean, twenty years ago for fancy sports, the leagues didn't themselves didn't like us because we we're quasi gambling. At least that's what they thought. The major media didn't like us because we were a bunch of nerds. Right. <laughs> um, you know, ESPN didn't have, you know, shows on it that even talked about it. Right. Keith Oberman in the early nineties mentioned fancy baseball on some sports center. And we were all like, Oh, this is so awesome that he actually talked about it. Yeah. That's um, cool. You know, it was just like that different. And, uh, and so those are good examples of how to like sort of put yourself back in time, what it was like back then. Cause it's probably, you know, you know, the, the, the sort of uncertainty of the outcome and how to make money and things like that are very, you know, similar even if the products themselves are something that are very different, but you know, that's kind of what's like that. You know, we were able to kind of read and react and figure out a way to keep sort of having the best in class information that people would pay money for over the years to and, and sort of stay on top of every new twist and turn of the technology and new games and, and uh, you know, so, so, you know, stay ahead, stay ahead. And I think that's what you, know, you got to do as an entrepreneur, just, you know, constantly looking out for everything, you know, everything that's new and, trying stuff and keep it, you know, keep it air to the ground. Cause if you don't, if you don't do that, then you get pretty old pretty fast. Right. You know, I've seen that, I've seen that happen. <laughs> you get dated for sure. Yeah, exactly. Do, is there any technology that you have your eye on right now that you think is like, uh, maybe, maybe some opportunities for you? I mean, you know, the biggest opportunity for us is sports betting. Right. So it's not really so much technology. I and mean, you know, maybe people listening to your podcast don't really, aren't, aren't into that or know as much, but in the, in the U S 
uh, sports betting was essentially illegal everywhere but Las Vegas. It's a little bit more complicated than that. But the Supreme Court three years ago overturned a law, overturned that law, and made it so that every individual state can now decide whether they want to legalize sports betting or not. Mm. So over 20 states have, you know, have legalized, you know, passed laws or or, or have laws on the books before that they sort of dug up and, and are now kosher to bring out famous you know, sports betting. And so you're seeing, you know, states like um, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Louisiana, you know, they're all, they're all added sports betting. So it's this big growing market for information. And, you know, it's kind of like, just this, you know, big land rush uh, of opportunity, you know, and there's a number of European companies coming into the U.S. Uh, as a result because they have a lot of experience there where it's, where it's legal. And the online part of that is, is the is the big growth area. In New Jersey, something like 90, 90 to 95% of the bets that are made in, in New Jersey are all uh, online wow. as opposed to in-person. Yeah, Because it's just so much more convenient, right? Right, and, sure. And so in some states, some states, have, you know, have online, some don't, some just you have to do it physically. And so the online is a big opportunity, a big growth area. And so a company like mine is trying to, you know, figure out how to take advantage of that. You know, because a lot of the news information that we do for fantasy sports also resonates for sports betting, like who's starting, who's hurt, you know, what's the projection for this game in terms of you know, who's going to win, how the players are going to do, all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of similarities. Um, there's definitely some differences too. And so you're mostly going head to head against other, you know, other other people, individuals, it's peer to peer. Sports betting, you know, you're usually going against the house, you know, right. you're going against the market maker, bookmaker. You know, that's not always the case. There's different formats, but so you know, it's a little bit different. You know, in, in some ways, and the legality, I would say, is that there's a you know, fancy sport not considered gambling, considered games of, of skill. So you know, they're legal in just about every state. And you know, sports betting is a game of chance, and, and so therefore, it's not legal in most states. So you know, there's some differences, but in terms of you know, for us, it's, it's a big you know, big market opportunity to build tools and content and, you know, connect with the, the customers uh, who are in sports betting. And there's a huge overlap between fancy sports and sports betting. Usually if you're in a fancy sports, you, you, know, you also will bet on sports if, you, right. if there's an opportunity. And so, yeah, so that's really kind of the main thing. And so it's not so much the technology that's changing, you know, it's not like some new platform or whatever, as much as just, you know, a whole new dawn of a whole new world of sort of information and, and and data that, that you need to come up with and, and sort of be a little bit innovative with. Cool. Awesome. This is really, really helpful. And I, I love the, you know, there, there's almost like a historical context to like all the, all this sort of like technology that we're dealing with now, everything that's kind of like new and like interesting and exciting. And we've been through, we've been through waves like this before. So it, it is actually really interesting to think about that. There's like, it's not like we need to consider a lot of these like trends like on their own. It's just really helpful talking to you. Like think like, well, we can just like look back. Like what was like the most similar thing to this? Or like what was the most similar timeline? And like, well, what happened there? Kind of really help people focus like what what needs to be true? Because to your point, like it's really smart for companies to stay present and like up to speed and like current. Like you, you don't want to get old. Like you said of like, you don't want to be like aging technology. But I also imagine that like, Jumping onto the wrong thing is probably like that's not that's not good either. You know, it's like it's well, yeah, you don't want to spend all your time kind of spinning your wheels, chasing your tail on the new technology. You got definitely got to kind of pick your spots. So that's one thing we learned as well. I think a lot. I listen to a lot of the podcasts that you. Um, you know, I've been a fan of it. So and a lot of them are new entrepreneurs and have great ideas, a lot of enthusiasm. So the one thing I, I thought I might be able to bring to the podcast was, you know, I've been doing this for twenty years and right. I've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> you know? And you know, we definitely. 
made a lot of mistakes along the way and I've, I've seen patterns of, of people that were successful and so man, I thought maybe if I came on and talked about that maybe that'd be helpful because I mean you, you know you've got a lot of people using your platform that, that have really successful businesses or willing you know, on the way to being a really successful business and it's great to hear those stories but you probably don't really hear as many stories about uh, people that kind of screwed things up you know like if I sold the business to the wrong person they went right they, went, they, they failed you know we tried to do it for free and, and that didn't you know that didn't work I mean basically you know went, went pay just kind of out of desperation, we're great, you know, and, you know, we tried all kinds of, you know, we probably you know, failed a zillion new product ideas and things like that, you know, right. along the way. At one point, we had the biggest commissioner service in all fancy sports since 1999, and it was free, so we had more people using our platform to run the cotton running games than anyone else before Yahoo or ESPN really took over the whole market, and then when we sold it to that company, you know, that was one thing, unfortunately, they didn't pay for the stats for the stat provider, you know, when they went bankrupt and so all the leagues left and they went to Yahoo. And so, uh, you know, we always, if we think back now, that's a, that's a product that if, you know, we would have kept it running and kept that same market share for 20 years, which obviously is theoretically not really possible, you know, it'd be worth like billions of dollars. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so I always like to tell everyone, I've probably lost more money than anybody could have, you know, has actually made in this business, right? And in theory, you know, like, I'm like the biggest loser, right? I mean, like, yeah. you know, if you were to do a balance sheet of like, oh, this guy could have made billions of dollars, but he didn't. So, yeah, you know, but, you know that happens. And you just can't really beat yourself up on it too much, especially when you're in a market that's, you know, in such an early stage, you know, kind of like how you talked about with NFTs and, and crypto, you know, those early days of that kind of stuff. I mean, you, you just can't really beat yourself up on mistakes you made or opportunities that you lost. You just kind of stay focused and keep trying. And eventually you hit, you know, you hit something. Yeah, having gone through this a few times, is there is there advice that you give or or any sort of like feedback that you give for somebody who's who doesn't have the experience going through this and is trying to make a decision of I mean really that specific scenario of like well do we do we double down in this area is this you know if you have multiple business lines do you let one of them go should you keep it going like how do you how do you help coach people through that as somebody who's potentially let <laughs> let lines go that maybe may or may not be worth, you know, billions I mean, of dollars at this point. Yeah, the biggest advice I usually have is like the, the, the people, usually people fail on product lines or areas when they haven't done their homework, you know, to figure right. out like why it hasn't succeeded before and why, you know, why hasn't, you know, why, like that kind of thing. And, you know, they usually think, so they usually haven't done their solid, you know, if they haven't really figured out the problems that, that were there before, and that's why you should try to coach them on that. Like, well, you know, you know, if you're going to try, you know, one thing everyone's always tried in fancy sports is to have a in-person conference where, you know, you kind of like Comic-Con for fancy sports and it's been like a failure every time. Right. And something you try to like every three or four years and it never works. And, and usually if I actually say, you got to go back to those other ones and ask around and figure out like what happened, why didn't it succeed? You know, what, what, you know, and that kind of stuff. Most time they don't. Right. So I would say that, you know, and then, then how passionate you are about it, you know, I mean, if it's, you know, something you're really, really, that's, it's kind of a drag and you don't want to do it. I mean, like eventually you're not going to probably do it. So I mean, those are kind of just super general examples, but those are kind of some, some areas where, you know, where I would kind of advise about it, you know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's kind of been the way for us. We had a lot of opportunities. We probably could have, you know, we had, for example, the best ball drafts are are big in fantasy sports now. So people who are really into it will understand that terminology where you just kind of draft once and during the year but that way you can make a lot you can do a lot of drafts and uh, people you know people will put a lot of money into that it's a fun contest and uh, we bought a platform about 10 years ago or so it was kind of pioneered running those and um probably could have like really that's another opportunity we could probably could have had made a lot of money but you know we eventually didn't want to rebuild the software from a company to be acquired because it's just too much work yeah and i think we you know hindsight we, we missed on that we missed on it but 
you know, we just, it wasn't, we just weren't really passionate about it. You know, it wasn't really something that it's kind of a pain and, you know, you know, a lot of customer support involved and, you know, we had other things, opportunities we thought were better at the time. And so I think, I think that's an opportunity. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think we, that, that we really actually made a poor choice there. I don't know if we would have succeeded, you know, I don't know if we would have, we would have uh, capitalized on the opportunity that we had, even if we realized it. And, you know, it came down to just you know, how passionate we were about it, just how, how we were oriented kind of as a organization to succeed in that. So I think sometimes you gotta, you gotta make choices based on that as well. Awesome. Well, I want to, I want to bring us in for a nice soft landing here. I feel like at this point, if anybody who's listening is either interested in fantasy sports or maybe we've, we've gotten them interested in fantasy sports at this point, maybe you can, you can talk a little bit about, about your business and, you know, maybe some, some thoughts about how they can, you know, check in with you within further, any other resources you want them to, to check out? Yeah. So again, fantasy, you know, Rotowire is a fantasy football and, and fantasy sports uh, contest. Right now it's fantasy football season, and that's one of the most people probably play. So, right. yeah, we have everything you need to win your league. Rankings, cheat sheets, news and information. It's mostly a pay site, but there's, pay site, but there's some free stuff. So, you know, if you want a, if you want a free trial, free 10 days, you know, on this podcast, you go to rotowire.com slash radio and, and you get a free 10 day trial. No no credit card required. That's, that's one of our things we do, I guess, which would be sort of a, a SaaS type business thing we we, uh, we just try to get people to, to sign up and try, and try us test us out for 10 days and we're confident that after you use us for your draft to help run the league after 10 days that you know, you'll, you'll stick around and they can find the value and, and start paying for it so yeah if you're in fantasy football at all just check out rotowire.com or you know find me and i'm just uh, peter at rotowire.com and email me and uh, you know i'd love to help you out love, you know give me some sleepers give me some tips uh, if you want interested in the industry or writing we're always looking for writers and yeah, fantasy football, or you, if you're tempted to try it, you know, give it a shot. Like I said, it's a, it's a great, it's just, it's great entertainment. You know, if you're brand new, you can join a league at Yahoo or ESPN or NFL.com and learn pretty quickly and have fun. And it's great to play with your friends and worldwire.com can be a great resource for you. Awesome. Yeah. All these startups are always looking for something that they can do to, you know, relax and, and have fun and, and, you know, kind of like a cultural component. So sounds like this might be a fun one for everybody to try out, get their head out of the, out of the day to day and have a, a fun activity that everybody can compete in. And then the people on the team that want to get serious about it can go to Rotowire and get the data that they need to crush everybody, crush everybody else. So they'll have a, maybe a little bit more fun with their, with their experience. Yeah. Great. Check us out. Like I said, if you have any inclination to play fantasy football, definitely give us, definitely check out Rotowire.com. Awesome, Peter. Well, thanks so much for, for being here on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having me. It's great to be part of this. Like I said, I've been a fan of them before, so definitely fun to come in and tell you about my business and how we're doing. Awesome. Thank you. And that was our conversation with Peter Shanky, founder of Rotowire. If you're looking for, well, as a fantasy player, the best possible information you can get, check out Rotowire. If you're a business and you're, or you're looking to start a fantasy business, check out rotowire.com. If it's a SaaS analytics tool that you're looking for, well, then you can check us out at bearmetrics.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode and invite you to check out our other founder chats. If you're able to share with a friend or leave a review, it goes a long way. Thanks for listening. 